that's the point of a cliffhanger is to make you want to watch the next episode, and it worked. <laughs> oh my god! How can you say it's a bad cliffhanger? I felt no, because I felt like someone robbed me from something as, ch as a child. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back to Talking Beasts. I'm Glum Puddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And I am Rillian. Sorry. Oh Man, if I'd have known you were going to do that, I would have done something else. He would have stolen it. <laughs> That's why I don't disclose all my ideas in the outline. No one told me we were doing character voices. Sorry. Dang it. That, that, that was my David Suchet introduction. <laughs> if David Suchet did a Talking Beast podcast. Um, oh, my God. Oh, glum bottle. So, uh, sorry. Uh, wow, we are. Uh, it's all. I think this episode is going to be all downhill from here, especially bringing up David Suchet as compared to uh, Ronald Pickup's performance. Oh man! Transitioning from to BBC uh, today, we're talking about episode two of BBC's television miniseries of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader from 1990. We made it to episode two, guys. Congratulations! You've done it. The one we've all been waiting for. Um. <laughs> And that means today, but seriously, today that means we're talking about one of the most important, memorable, and certainly most discussed scenes in the Chronicles of Narnia books. That's the undragoning of Eustace Scrub. It was a lion, but a big, kind, quiet lion with piercing eyes. He's seen Aslan. The one you always talk about. Oh, yes. He's seen Aslan. And as far as adaptation, it's definitely one of the most challenging scenes. Even focus on the family struggled when adapting it for radio. Um, so for any Narnia adaptation, uh, Netflix, we're looking at you. It's definitely one of the, wow, how are they going to do that justice scenes. So I think we'll probably talk about that first, just to make sure... <laughs> Um, we get it in there. I just want to. I, I don't want to have to save that and rush it at the very end. I want to make sure we have enough time to get into the undragoning. Um, because the episode starts with the storm, and then there's a water shortage, and Eustace tries to seal the water. They arrive on Dragon Island, and then you have the dragoning and undragoning of Eustace, and uh, finally at the crew at the very end, they leave the island. There's a quick cliffhanger ending that I know you want to talk about, Jim Fan. Really quick uh, cliffhanger ending where the sea serpent rah, comes towards the camera. And that's where the episode ends. Where to begin? Um, so it begins with, uh, in the book, of course, it's told in, in, mostly in retrospect mm. because uh, we have, you know, Edmund sees Eustace approaching, or he doesn't know it's Eustace originally. And then he says, it's me, Eustace. And they have this conversation and Eustace relays the story of how he was undragoned. And it's slightly ambiguous if it was a dream or not. I mean, I know he, obviously he was undragoned and obviously they were the clothes, but did what we were seeing and hearing in his account really exactly happen that way? Or is it somewhat metaphorical? Slightly ambiguous. Anyway, in the BBC version, we see Eustace standing on the beach and then Aslan appears and they disappear and disappear in this, you know, uh, lake thing or whatever. We see the dragon scales coming off. Uh, we see Aslan say something like, you'll have to let me undress you. And then uh, rather than picking up, um, as, and throwing him into the water, 
he just kind of floats into the water as with Aslan looking at him. Eustace emerges very dramatically in slow motion, uh, a boy again. And then smash cut to him t- telling the, the story to everyone on the beach. Well, let me just start with um, you, Rillian. Uh, your overall thoughts on the undragoning of Eustace in the BBC version. It's hard to know where to start because there's uh, at some well look at some point we we try to be somewhat generous with BBC because we we know some of the limitations like doing Aslan by itself okay doing a good Aslan um, but at at the end of the day you just have to look at it is what it is it is what it is right regardless of what the technology available oh we wish we could have done this better okay yeah fine okay at the end of the day um, yeah it was it it didn't convey what you had from the book so. so Part of the great thing about the Undragoning of Eustace in the book is Lewis is really providing it's a whole nother because he, he provides these ang- kind of a an angle onto the this view of salvation, of rejuvenation, kind of this rebirth, right? And he does it one way with Edmund. It's a completely different take on this idea of salvation. And then he has an, an a new take with Eustace that captures completely different elements that you don't get you have aslan uh you have eustace with this horrible facade right there's this idea that well the real eustace is deep down there but it's he's trying to get this ugliness off and aslan basically says it's not enough i have to do it and not only does aslan does it not only is it thorough, it hurts. It's yes, painful. that's really it's important. It's brutally painful. The, the first tear had gone so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart, the book says. As this ugliness is coming off through this pain, kind of like a, like a, he describes it kind of like a good kind of pain, right? Like almost like a relief kind of pain, but it's still painful. Um, w- without him even really realizing it, uh, he, he turned into a boy again. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, that's interesting detail. It, it's this fantastic... Image and even Lewis is able to describe in the book he began to be a different uh, a new Eustace. It's not like he was it was automatic overnight like a light switch, more like a dimmer switch really. And it's there's just so many great things conveyed there in the book. In the movie, it's kind of like this BBC. You mean right? Not the not, sorry, not the, I say movie. I'm, I, sure, I'm yeah. thinking it. Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm, it's a TV show. But I, I'm thinking. Yes. Well, just to make sure you're not talking version. about the Walden version, right? Okay. No, I'm not. I, uh, but it's really, it's just kind of this vague, oh, Aslan shows up. Um, okay, Eustace is trying to get the dragon skin off, I guess. And Aslan says, I have to do it. And then there's some very weird line. It is not enough. No. You have still not shed all that needs to be shed to get down to you. The good, essential you lies within. The good, essential you that lies within. That it lies within. Exactly. It's like, huh. that is not at all what it was in the book. So, and then he just kind of goes down into the water and he comes up and it's like, okay, Aslan came in and, you know, made him a boy again. That's really all you have in the BBC is at the end of the day, it's okay, he was stuck on the island and Aslan came in after he tried to scrape scales off and uh, made him a boy again. 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it might as well have been like a fairy godmother coming in and be boom and then you know <laughs> I'm a real boy. I'm a real Man. boy. See that that's exactly how I would describe the Walden version is very uh pixie dust and magical and woo and uh none of the things I didn't say it was that I said you might has uh, might okay. as well have been might that. Is, it might, might as well, might as well been. been the Walden version. <laughs> Fair enough, fine. <laughs> uh okay, a couple of things I want to uh, bring up there, Jim Fan. You have any uh thing you want to add to that, or the overall thoughts on the Undragoning? Yeah, feel free to compare it to the Walden version if you must. Like I said in the text message thread, I've I give up. We can comp- we can do that if we want. I was disappointed in that it didn't like we've like you guys just talked about. It didn't really convey the essence of what's in the book and why it why it has to happen the way that it happens it's mm-hmm. just edmund is flying around like a dragon and it's awesome and you're like whoa he this is like the best thing that's ever happened to him <laughs> you think so and then he gets turned back into a boy again and you're like i don't know if that's like a good thing or not you know i guess he's not like so freaking annoying anymore but you don't you don't really sense like that internal change except like it really is almost like a switch like he is just obnoxious and then he's like oh yay everything's fine guys sure because in the the book you get all that internal his internal struggle of working through all that and you don't and you don't get the transition point of like how it's described in the book of the undragoning i feel like makes a really good transition absolutely it's a beautiful piece of writing in the book and you don't get that here so might as well done the bibbidi bobbidi boo. <laughs> well, I don't think that. This, I I don't. <laughs> um, man, I I was gonna I was kind of come here prepared to be harsh on the undragoning, but you guys have just ripped it to shreds, and I don't <laughs> think it's nearly as bad as you guys think it is. Uh, the problems I have with it are mostly technical. Like, yes, the dragon just looks bad. I forget. I wanted to look up who plays the dragon. They actually have the person that plays the dragon listed in the credits. Um, plays dragon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a woman, actually. And uh, unfor- it just doesn't look, it just looks silly. And the head, you know, like when he, like when they're saying, dragon, can you speak? You know, it's like, the head's kind of going back and forth. Like, I guess that was shaking its head, I guess. Anyway, so that's where a lot of the problems here is that how stilted it is. And Aslan's just sitting yeah. there and he's floating into the water instead of being thrown. Um that's where a lot and thus the filmmaking is really stale that's where all my prompt most of our problems with this are yes there's that line you mentioned really in that i find very confused the good essentially you that lies within i don't know what to do with that i guess he's a changed person i guess more or less and the idea of becoming mm-hmm. a dragon is that he becomes exactly like what he is on the outside or, or what he is on the inside he become with greedy dragonish thoughts he became a dragon himself um and now he has undergone this internal transformation even though it's a dimmer switch he's still something very inside has changed as a result of being a dragon so i guess you could say that's okay i just think it's a cheesy line um i don't think it's okay at all i think it's completely counter <laughs> to the i see what they're going for i guess i see what they're going uh, for too but i think what they're going for is counter to what lewis would have said to say that eustace has undergone some kind of an internal transformation here um and clearly that the, the eustace on the inside has changed as a result yes, but of the being question a dragon. Is, but in the BBC, it's like Aslan is making him, Aslan is changing his outside to reflect his inside. In the book, his inside and outside have to both change. Correct. And mm. I'd say at the point of the undragoning, uh, 
the inside has changed. Now he has to change the outside to follow. Oh, okay, I, I I see where you're going. So like, now I don't. I, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. I'm not saying I, guess, I love I the line. I get what you're saying. Okay, I see your sure. point, and I I I, I get. Yes. I don't I don't love There's the line. Yes, that is correct. I I don't love the line, but I see what uh-huh. they're going for there. Um you you brought up two really important points, really in. Uh first off it being painful, um, and then the kind of the image of rebirth. Um you don't get the sense of it being very painful, except I will say when they're showing the close-ups of the scales falling off, I did kind of go, ooh, like it was kind of gross. And it was kind of like I had I had this yes. sort of vis- visceral yes. reaction to it. Um, even though I wouldn't exactly describe it as obviously not nearly as dramatic or compelling as what the book describes, but right. at least they had that. Now, again, part of this is I've, I've lived with the Walden version for so long, which is just <laughs> Beauty and the Beast pixie dust. Um, so it was refreshing to see something that felt kind of gross and visceral, at least. So it's like, Can I read one little part from the book? I would love you to do that. Because I, I think it speaks to something that, interestingly, both for whatever reasons, maybe different reasonings, uh, did is Aslan looks safe in both versions. Uh, uh, both ad- both adaptations, you mean? Both adaptations, sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And here, here's just a little bit from the book. Yusa says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. It's almost like neither one, neither adaptation wanted to address or show the character of Aslan ripping into Eustace. Yes. Mm. And it would have made the character of Aslan look very unsafe. Yeah, and I think with BBC, it was probably more of a technical limitation I agree. than anything else. I agree. Yeah. Uh, prob- the decision was probably more technically informed. But w- with Walden, it was, may have been more of a rating uh, decision, or at least a <laughs> sense of wanting it to be kid-friendly, and frankly, wanting Aslan to be tamer. Um, but again, we've, yeah. we've, we've been over that yeah. before. Um, so I think there is some attempt within technical limitations to show, oh, at least this is a gross, nasty process, even mm-hmm. if it's not that exactly That was definitely painful. more there with BBC. So it's like, okay, there's an there's an attempt there, but as a fan of the books, I'm going I'm watching it going. Oh, this is not nearly as compelling as it is in the book, and what a missed opportunity. But I guess I'm not writhing in in pain like I was with the Walden version. Um, <laughs> uh, you you mentioned the idea of like being reborn. Um, I do think that is here. There's certainly yes. an attempt at it. Like uh, there's when an attempt. At he goes sure. into the pool and he emerges from the pool naked. There is a sense of, of being reborn and like the, the, him comes out in kind of slow motion. I think that the imagery of being born is kind of there. Um, and and cl- and clearly there's a sense of um. I shouldn't be comparing it so much to the Walden version. I know, but it's just, it's helpful. With the Walden version, it's just, oh, yay, he's a boy. Now he can go put the, the sword together or whatever and destroy the Dark Island. Yay. Whereas this, they do take some time to dwell on, hey, what does this mean? Look at Eustace as a new person now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for the most part, I watch this as a fan of the books, and it's very disappointing compared to what's written in the book. But I see they had... Uh, mostly noble intentions. Um, so I'm not angry about it, but yeah, it's ext- it's a it's very disappointing. I feel like they at least tried and they failed. You know, with Walden, they didn't even try. It doesn't it doesn't make me angry because I, I know the technical limitations. But at the end of the day, you have to say, well, you know, this this is why 
you know, this is why some people came along and said, let's adapt the line, which the wardrobe and let's do it as a cartoon instead mm, of yeah. uh, people dressed up as animals because we, we know what our limitations would be in certain mediums. So at some point you have to look at, uh, that's why we talk about how some films age better than others. Because uh, sometimes like, huh, wow, this, this ages really well because they stayed within limitations of the day or whatever. So at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. But yeah, no, it doesn't make me angry. Um, I'd be so interested to see. We'll talk about the sea serpent at the end. We will. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like there's still so much. When it comes to Don Treader, I feel like there's still so much potential in terms of be, seeing it adapted to screen in a way that is really honoring to the book, but also just a good adaptation, like you said, to the limitations of what is like technically possible. Um, with Don Treader, I feel like there's Come just on, Netflix. potential. <laughs> I, well, you know, with Prince Caspian and Language in the Wardrobe, I don't really feel that way. I and for There's some things, but for the most part, I'm like... I'm like, I, I watch, you know, Walden and as far as like the technical limitations, I feel pretty satisfied that they like went around all the hurdles um, with Don Treader. They just didn't go there uh, in the Facebook, the Talking Bees Facebook group. Cody said, quote, it's disappointing. They dropped the ball on the climactic and dragoning, which was too rushed and confusing. And what was with that line? The good essential you lies within. And calling Aslan a big, kind, quiet lion, Eustace was supposed to be scared of him. I really feel like fans who talk about how accurate these BBC Narnia adaptations dialogue is to the book are exaggerating a bit. It's a fair point. These are not the word-for-word adaptation. I would have told people before, oh, it's 95% from the book. And like, no, it's more like (laughs) 70. Yeah. Which gets to, it, I don't know if you want to pivot yet off the Undragoning. One more thing before we move on from the Undragoning. Yes, I, I, I kind of mentioned this before, but both adaptations don't have Edmund and Eustace talking about the Undragoning. Boo! Why? It's that's that's so, true. It's almost that's, like a quick, hey guys, here's what happened. Uh-huh. You were, that, you know, that, you know. Edmund, the book says you were only an ass, but I was a traitor. Um, uh, and it's such a good callback. A good it's such a good callback. It's so good drawing that comparison. It's a really powerful yeah. moment, and oh, that, it makes me so sad. Which is funny because modern studios love tie-ins to previous films, like little right? Easter eggs. You know, <laughs> it would have been great. The reason—it's not like I don't understand the reason. Um, It's—I mean, like in the book, it's. um it's just like you know, the battle in *Line the Witch in the Wardrobe* in the book is told in retrospect. It's Peter explaining right. what happened, and it's it's easy to say. We're in a movie. You're like, well, let's just actually show it rather than have someone just sure. tell you what happened. And so that I can understand that reaction here too. Of like, well, let's actually experience this with you, sis, instead of just cutting to Edmund's reaction occasionally. Um, but can we at least have an acknowledgement? Especially there was an opportunity here because Edmund is such a freaking whiner. This whole episode is so intolerable. I find it more annoying than Eustace um, <laughs> throughout this episode. It would have been so great to see Edmund afterwards be like, you know, put his arm on Eustace's shoulder and be like, hey, you know, you were only an ass. I was a traitor or something like that. Or just have an acknowledgement there, even if they're not going to do the telling yeah. the story to Edmund thing. Well, so like, you have Eustace yeah. whining and then Edmund whining about Eustace whining. So it's one of those little things that everyone that's read the book kind of mentions. Oh, I love Ed- Edmund and Eustace. That's so great. They have that conversation. It's so beautiful. Um, so I, I, I kind of understand why, but I think they could try a little bit harder to at least work in an, an acknowledgement there of something that's so beautiful in the book uh with that said uh really in let's pivot thank you 
I wanted to first say, not a huge discussion point, but watching it, I thought, I really do like Samuel West as Caspian in this episode. His his interactions through a lot of the different scenes, it, more than probably any other character, he doesn't really seem like he's acting. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem like he's just reading off lines. It sounds like he's just that character. And he does, and I and I will say, as I've read the books, um, my probably the person most influencing my image of Caspian in the books is probably Samuel West. I don't think of Ben Barnes when I I like Ben Barnes a lot. I've seen him in other stuff and he's a very good actor. But he I don't think of Ben Barnes like as my default Caspian. I think of more like a Samuel West type Caspian. Yeah, I agree. Certainly for Don Treader. Um so he was just really refreshing to watch uh in at every scene I just kind of liked watching his acting in this. But going to kind of what you said comfortable about Oh, these books are these or these shows are ninety five percent following the books. Nah, it's more like seventy percent. Yeah, a great example of like it's sort of this weird box that the BBC shows would sometimes put themselves in is you know we must follow this bit to the letter. You have the I thought it was odd because you have they don't have the Diary of Eustace, and you have instead mm-hmm. some what I thought effective adaptation or they're just dramatizing it again again just like the undragoning rather than having it told in retrospect they're dramatizing it with the with the water the water shortage and then later they actually follow and you could argue follow the book more closely where eustace is walking off by himself through the mountain in his own head and you just have you the, hear his the, voice the, the dream the dreamy eustace voice talking in his own head so quiet quietest place i've ever been in I'd better get back. Losing all sense of time too. Been here two minutes or two hours. What if that dratty Caspian and the others go aboard and sail off without me? They all hate me. Would you have preferred a, a ghost of himself step out of himself and have a conversation <laughs> like they did, like they did in Edmund with Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe? So weird. <laughs> Oh, they should. No, have. I would not would have, have preferred that. Maybe they didn't oh, have the budget to super. I would have rather some creative adaptation like they did because, like, and I, I consider myself in the purest camp. But looking at some of the changes made with the water shortage stuff, I'm like, well, I don't think. I mean, it doesn't bug me. I mean, they. I liked it. I thought it worked. It kind of got the points across. They got a lot of the main points from the book in. Um, it was a little confusing to me because at one point they're talking about, and then I'm like. They're, the, all their clothes are flapping in the wind. I thought that maybe the, maybe the maybe the ship is moving again, and I just missed it. And then it's like, oh no, that's just never mind. The ship isn't supposed to be moving. They just they aren't supposed to have a breeze, but they do. Uh, um, no, I I totally hear you uh, on the journal thing, and uh, you know, used this kind of uh, just speaking his thoughts out loud later, uh, just before he finds the dragon. Um, it's uh, the water stuff. Yeah, it did work for me. Um, I, I appreciate that. This episode feels like it has it's a fairly self-contained episode as far as it feels like it has something of a beginning, middle, end. The fall and rise of Eustace. <laughs> exactly. It begins with, you know, yes. uh Eustace stealing the water mm-hmm. and not and doesn't want to apologize it for it. It has an arc. Yeah, and then it or ends the opportunity with, for an arc. Yeah, and then it ends with <laughs> Eustace being undragon. So it it is the story of Eustace. And it even has a little bit of a bookend where it's dark and scary storm, and then you have the dark and scary sea serpent at the end there. So um, I think it, it it feels like a fairly beginning, middle, end, self-contained episode. Um, 
uh, which I like. Um, that said, let me read something from Cody again from the Talking Beast Facebook group. Oh, Cody, here he goes. He said, they don't capture the humor of this section at all with Eustace's ridiculously biased journal entries, but I guess those are something you could only do in print. Um, um well, can you elaborate on that? Um, well, not in the BBC, but not not to bring it back to Walden, but I seem to recall in the Walden, they did have some letter writing, journal entering, internal monologue that I personally thought was effective. Like, I thought it was funny. So it can be done. I agree that how it was done in this episode was not well, because it like, wasn't done at all. Um, well, but then, like, there could have been oppor- like, I guess I've, at that point it was kind of past, but like, they did try the, you know, Eustace talking to himself in his head as he's wandering off into the mountains, and that was just kind of like, oh, but that okay, didn't, didn't, didn't work there. He's just, it didn't d- work there, but that also yeah. wasn't meant to be, that also wasn't the same, like, thing that he was going to be talking, you know, it wasn't meant to be that funny. It is, it's unique. It's something that, um, it works so well in a book when you're reading just his perspective but you know uh i don't think he's being entirely honest here and it gets to you yeah. just how completely uh what a feedback loop he is in how utterly hopeless it is that he could ever change something really he dramatic so has to happen to him annoying in this episode he's so annoying but isn't he supposed to be annoying jim fan he's supposed to be but like i think because you don't have the kind of like ridiculous humor of his journal entries is he's annoying, but he's also funny, like Mm -hmm. not to the people around him, but to us, he is funny in, in this episode (laughs) to us. He, there is nothing funny about him. It is just complete obnoxiousness. I agree that that's probably, we talked about that before, but it's like the, that's the line you have to get with Eustace is make him annoying, but you also want to enjoy watching him. Cause in you the book, want to enjoy, you want to enjoy hating him. Uh huh. Cause I, I think you do in the book and I, I, but the journal entries are where you really start to, I think, love to hate Eustace in the book because it is it, all the stuff about, you know, f- fancy being on a ship with people, people that can't even count and stuff like that. And you just know, I, I've no doubt there's more to the story here. And this, he's stuck in a hopeless feedback loop and it's going to take something <laughs> as dramatic as getting turned into a dragon to change this little brat. Um, <laughs> we don't get that as much in uh, the BBC adaptation. Well, we don't get the journal entries at all, but I do like uh, the water scene where he tries to steal the water and, like I think you liked Rillian. I think that worked reasonably well. And I like when the wind comes and they say, oh, wind. That was kind of a satisfying moment. <laughs> Can we at least laugh, laugh at the part where I thought it was some good. I don't remember the actor's name. The guy who plays Drinian. When uh, Lucy says, oh, I'm so glad the wind is done. And he's like, what is it, Captain? The wind. The wind has dropped away. I should jolly well hope so after that storm. Yes, ma'am. It's like, it's like these stupid land dwellers. <laughs> it's like you can know exactly what he's thinking. I thought that was a genuine moment of tension where it's like um, he, he doesn't want to say, well, here's the thing, Lucy. We're all doomed <laughs> unless, no, right, unless it comes back. He's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, yeah. He doesn't want to yeah. yep, make right. everybody no, panic. Yes, it's wonderful not having wind at sea. <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I liked it. I did like it. It's moments like that. Like Those are good moments. Like It's not like it's not in the book, right? Um but things like that are just good things that a film or TV show can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have this weird relationship with the BBC versions because 
it's not like they're mm-hmm. as good as they possibly could have been. It's just they're meant for people that have re- read the book and go, oh, cool. They filmed actors saying the same lines and doing a thing. I mean, that, that's that, that a is, good way. Of, that's actually a good way to summarize it. That, actually. that is that is the intent. So maybe it's. Um, but I guess I, I as someone that has read the book in a way, I'm their target audience and I want more. What can I say? While we're on the subject of, uh, you know, Eustace's inner thoughts and how that's conveyed, uh, you've got a note in here, Jim Fan. We just got a whole Google yeah. Doc of notes here um, of things that kind of stood out to us. Uh, Jim Fan, you've got a note here that talks about Eustace's revelation, meaning like when he figures out he's a dragon. You literally, like the camera is his eyes and you're hearing his thoughts, but you're just seeing it the way that he sees it, which is very similar to how Eustace finds out he's a dragon in the book. Another dragon! Oh, oh, what a fool I've been. The brute had a mate and it's lying right beside me. Maybe if I move very carefully away from it. It's an effective way to adapt that scene because, see, it's also budget friendly in that you don't like obviously they made a dragon but you didn't have to get the dragon puppet to do so much because you could just have the camera be there and just show like a leg here and steam here and it was like ooh, what the heck is going on i don't know i liked it i I had maybe it's just because i forgot it was there but i was like oh i liked it i like that they did it that way it's about as literal of an adaptation of that scene as you could do um I guess even in the book, I don't love doing it that way. But at least in the book, it's not like Eustace. It like it's the narrator is saying, "Oh, Eustace thought to himself." You know, it's not literally. Oh no, there's an arm over there, and there's a leg over here. It's the narrator saying, "And Eustace thought this. Eustace thought that." That's a little different. And here, I find it a little hokey when I'm hearing uh, David Thwaites. Uh, to actually say, oh no, another dragon. Oh no, another dragon. I think it doesn't seem, it's very natural in the <laughs> I mean, book. I didn't for, and, say it was perfect. I just was like, oh. It's, I think there's a the thing about this episode. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but it's, I feel, yeah, just in, inconsistent in those parts that I'm like, oh, I really like how they did that. And there's other parts I'm like, um, yeah, no, that does not do it for me whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, maybe if, again, it's a technical thing. If the dragon looked a little better, that would help. Um, like when he's crying, which is a wonderful part of the book, when it says, you know, a, a dragon crying its eyes out is a sight and a sound hardly to be imagined. And here, where they just, it's, oh, oh. It's almost like it's grinning. And the dragon is simultaneously, like, impressive looking in that, oh, those scales look pretty good. And, okay. It, and then it, it just it, can't move. And then, then it really, really walks around. That's impressive. Like, if this was a Halloween costume, it'd be really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a little better than the T-Rex costumes where you're, like, running around with a T-Rex with the little tiny arms and like, riding <laughs> bicycles and it's stuff. Distract- <laughs> look, it, it, I'm not criticizing it for not looking like a realistic dragon. Obviously, Mogrim is a, a, a guy. I wearing fur glued onto him or slipping in whatever. And I like the and I like the Mogren costume. Sometimes I think it has to be like so bad that it's good. You know, like the bowling pin beavers. You know? See the bowling pin beavers. Okay, I, I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about costumes, but by the way, I like Warwick Davis's costume as Reapy Chief, and maybe it's yeah, because yeah. I really like Warwick Davis in general. I think it makes yeah. him look too fat. They should have had a skinnier. Oh, I agree, but I 
what does it is I think Warwick Davis's performance is really his performance is good. I like Warwick Davis's as Reapy Cheap. Here's the other good thing about Reapy Cheap as Warwick Davis. Just just quick insert here is he doesn't do a high pitched Reapy Cheap. But he he has like a he has a good yeah he doesn't have to he just has a good the Warwick standout, Davis. I think Reapy the standout Cheap. moment is you know, very uh, pretty much the next scene. The standout moment, honestly, maybe in the BBC version so far up to this point. Uh, I have no idea War- where you're going with Wardrobe, this. Caspian, Don Treader. The for me, my favorite moment so far through this episode is Reepicheep running up to, when uh, Dragon Eustace is on the beach and they're confronting him for the first time. And Reepicheep runs right up to the camera and says, "Dragon!" Now that that was cool, that felt like a great Reepicheep <laughs> moment. And what one of the reasons it works is there've been a few times where Reepicheep was like about to get violent throughout this episode, and they held they hold him back. There's a moment early on, on the ship when someone says, "Oh, you can't get to the world's end," and he goes, "Who says so?" and puts his, his hand on his sword for a second. And then, of course, is the moment from the book when. Caspian says, "No, Reepicheep, you may not attempt single combat with it." Then and again, as <laughs> they're like, wa- yeah, and then again, as they're walking towards the dragon, he tries like, to. This is my chance. Right, he, he tries to. Combat. He tries to walk ahead, and Caspian just like puts his arm out and says, "No." And then, so it's like he's been holding it in like, for so long, blah. and and finally, in a total, please put on your three D glasses kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> runs right up to the camera and just says dragon That's and i thought awesome. i i'm being completely serious like it felt like a very legit like wow that's reefuchi it's wagging its head as if it meant to say no you don't think it can understand what we're saying dragon can you understand speech can you speak then it is idle to ask you your business and I thought that was legit, really effective, a really cool Ruby Cheat moment. Um, so there's good stuff in this episode as well. Um, maybe it guess it didn't affect you guys quite the same way, but I was like, heck yeah. After that, got a note from you, Jim Fan here. It says they uh, quickly focuses on the yeah. positive aspects of being a dragon. Tell me more. So... Like, as soon as, you know, everyone finds out that Eustace is a dragon and they're all suddenly like, ooh, we could get him to do stuff for us. Yes, which is in the book. And and Jernian is so condescending to him, by the way. A lot of jobs for us. (laughs) (laughs) And and Eustace is, you're like, and Eustace is supposed to be like, whoopee, yay. But if I was Eustace, I'd be like, Screw you! Like okay, like at it least like, nice it's a, it's a little ominous the way Journey insists yeah. it. <laughs> but then you know, but you're supposed to be like, there's supposed to be like a lot of like concern over the fact. Oh my gosh, Eustace! Has oh, been, he's a dragon. He's a dragon. Now. Like obviously, like we're glad he wasn't eaten by a dragon, but like he's a dragon. Like we don't know what. Like, we don't know what's going to happen to him, whatever, whatever. And instead, he's like, let's just go fly around the island and do all the stuff. And they're like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm like, oh, poor Eustace. I'm with Jim Fan on this. I thought (laughs) it was, I think it really diminished from feeling bad for, you're supposed to feel some compassion for. It's like happy music. And they're like flying around and having a joyride. You know, yeah, I I agree. Because it's in the book here, it's kind of like one of the first parts you actually feel bad for you. It's like, oh, I actually feel bad for this character whereas here it's like it's like used to serving a purpose for the first time but <laughs> yeah like the bit with Drinian was just kind of uh it was rushed it just it was that's the good it was rushed it's not like it was bad to have any of that in there it's just that because it is in the book it's just that it was whoop 
happy music and he's it's like we serve instantly discover that this is eustace and they're like oh what can what we do, do with they him? immediately focus on what they can how it's they can make use of him no yeah it's it's um no I, i'm hermione with would be furious <laughs> Uh, I'm with you guys as far as the initial reaction. They needed to have one beat of, oh, no, Eustace is a dragon. What are we going to do before transitioning to, oh, Eustace, you can you can actually be useful to us now. But I will say, yeah, in the book, then we have Eustace um, flying around, getting them a new mask, doing all these things. And the book talks about the experience of being liked and liking other people. This was a new feeling for Eustace. And then in the, the BBC version, they do express concern. There's a whole scene where it's like, but how do we feed him? How do we do this? Could we leave him? True. But but here's the other difference. The difference also with the book is it even says like this, like after they've, like Lucy's been consoling uh, Eustace. And it says, it was, however, clear to everyone that Eustace's character had been rather improved by becoming a dragon. He was anxious to help. So that's true. The, oh, the onus in the book is more on Eustace. Like he, he wants to help. That's a good he point. He wants to do these other things. And I think if they had even spent, I know it's BBC and they didn't have a lot of time, but if they'd even worked it in somehow where Eustace is wanting to do it, it would have changed it. Instead of like, how can you be our pack horse? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's it also a really takes good point. away from his transformation as a character because then you don't in, in the book you're, in the or the, sorry in the show you're looking at like does he want to be flying him around and <laughs> does he want to be carrying this stuff especially when like hours earlier he has walked away from camp because he doesn't want to do anything and he doesn't want to do any work and suddenly now he's come back and everyone's like do the work just like they asked him to do before. And this time he's like, whoop wee. I, 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 I agree with all that. And that's a really good point, really. And especially, um, uh, I will say, you know, let's be fair and say that we were just criticizing them for having, we're hearing Eusis's thoughts when he's, when he's, you know, about when he discovers the dragon and everything. And now we can't hear his thoughts. And as a result, we're not really aware of that internal transformation that's going True, on. But he also writes things out in sand in the book. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a book, you have pages and, and pages of, of Lewis describing in great detail what's going on inside Eustace. I don't have a problem with getting inside his head. I have a problem with the way it was executed. Sure. So, so yeah. So what we have to do, it's, it, it's, it's, it's visual. We have to find a, some visual way of showing that. But I'm just saying, but it's challenging. Or even like as, as simple as like Eustace like looks over and like sees like a big tree and is like, oh, like, do you need that? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, actually we do. Or I don't know. <laughs> Which would take time. Uh, sounds like, like an episode of Daniel Tiger, but yeah, sure. 15 okay. seconds. <laughs> yes, good job done. I, <laughs> well done, Eustace. I, I, will get, I will play my own devil's advocate here. It, if you're not going to get inside his head constantly, right, as a dragon, which was weird because they kind of did. In some parts, he's talking to himself, and then in other parts, where they maybe could have used it more, they don't, but for whatever reason. Um, but is they were limited even more by the technical stuff because, like, okay, you have a dragon. It's kind of being – everyone else is it, – it's kind of barely reacting to anyone else, you know? It's it's So it's sort of a static – Character. I think that's partly why this whole segment felt rushed is because they can't really have the dragon doing a whole lot. Actually, I thought the seriously, I thought the best moment for the dragon where it actually looked like worked the best for any scene was a scene where it's kind of like hiding down in the grass. It doesn't really do anything, but you it, you kind of conveys, oh, he heard all that and yeah. they didn't know it. Uh-huh. You know. Well, it's a scene where they use the fact that the dragon can't move to their advantage. Yes. Um yeah, I agree. Uh, so he's undragoned, and un- it just—it's a very like at, at, towards the end of the episode. Like I 
check to see, oh, how much time is left? And I saw there was only five minutes left. And I went, oh, I guess they're going to save the undragoning for the next episode. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they just oh, no. they squeeze it in. And you, you just very, very quickly, you know, recounted everything. And just, just before you know it, we're back on the water. And uh, Jim Fan- it's like a 29 minute episode, and uh-huh. he becomes a boy at like 26 minutes. Yes. In. So uh, they've got the, the scene where the, you know, Reepajit playing chess, and they sense danger, and uh, they're on the deck of the Dawn Treader, and it's dark actually. And the very last thing we see is the sea serpent's head Rah! come right towards the camera. Jim, <laughs> roll the credits. Oh my gosh. Jim yeah. Finn, uh, you've got a it's note so in here, annoying. and and I want to read. This is a really interesting note. I'm really curious to see what you say about this, Jim Fan. Yeah. But you've got a note. You've got a note in here that says another cliffhanger ending. Could Don Treader possibly be the BBC series that is viewed better as a whole, as opposed to watching it episodically? Which you would think Don Treader would be the one book that would work really well as a series. Yeah, well, because I I don't think that their use of cliffhangers are effective yeah i don't know like it's like it's a cliffhanger for the sake of being a cliffhanger it there's no flow for the story this it doesn't have like natural like stopping points like i i'm a connoisseur of tv shows like trust me i enjoy a good cliffhanger but the thing is they come at points in the story where there's build up and you know like it fits and then it stops and you're like okay now you can go to the next one or now you have to wait or whatever this like the the build up and then it ends and then you go straight into yeah the sea serpent is totally unrelated to everything that's come in the episode before it yeah you just go straight into something that's completely not related to the story that you've just spent time on so i'm like i'm really not enjoying these i don't think they work (laughs) so the endings you mean yeah, the mm-hmm. endings, like the way that they're choosing to cut the episode. So I'm like, well, maybe like we've been talking about and I don't know if we've mentioned like I'm sure we've mentioned this on the podcast, but like the way that we're watching the BBC series is that we're watching them episode by episode. We're not watching them in long blocks like the way that they're. That's the way they were originally viewed. That's, that's, that's the only way fair they were aired. Yeah. But most of us probably saw them on the like the DVDs or the VHSs where they were edited down into movie blocks. So. For most of us, at least for me, this is my first time watching it as episodes. Yeah. And I'm like, I seem to recall enjoying this a lot more when I could just watch it through. Like, I don't like the way that it's being cut here. So I had a unique life experience. I have to, I have to go into. Yes. Real uh, Rillian has a note in here. It just says. Okay, go, go, Rill- go. Rillian's note just says Rillian's experience with the sea monster. Okay. Go. So <laughs> I don't know what happened in my childhood. I don't either. Was, Tell I me. Probably, I was probably dropped, and I can't remember. But, <laughs> um, so I thought I had either. I thought I'd seen this originally years and years ago. Maybe I thought I got it like from the library, right? Maybe my dad recorded it on TV instead. But I did not know that the sea monster scene was ever put in the BBC versions. I had never seen this before <laughs> until last night. So that must what? have been a shock. It was a complete shock. Yeah. It, he had the, no, oh, let's all talk about the ending. I'm like, what ending? Like, there's no sea monster. And I know, but if you just talk about, yeah, well, you know, the BBC versions were better because they didn't go beyond their limits by like putting in a sea monster where they couldn't have done one. So I'm watching them like, <laughs> what the? This a sea monster? It was, I was like, holy cow, it's a ginormous anglerfish from the bottom of the ocean <laughs> popping out. But I'm like, 
that's weird. That's it. I'm like, I'm like, look at those little islands. I'm like, huh, that's weird. That's kind of like the part in the book with the sea monster. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I, I was in shock and disbelief. Wow. I don't know how the version I watched as a, I know it did not have this because I, for years told people, yeah, it's pretty good, except it doesn't have, it doesn't have to do anything with the sea monster. Cause you know, they couldn't have done. Oh, wow. <laughs> I also didn't like the cliffhanger. I thought it was stupid. And I thought the music transition was dumb. So I went <laughs> fan fan 100%. Speaking of cliffhanger endings, uh, I can't wait to see what you think about the sea serpent scene when we review episode three. Um, <laughs> I, th- I went ahead and watched it. I'm not going to talk oh, no. about it. Okay. Oh, stop no. it. Stop it. Stop. You're not, you're not supposed to do that. That's against the rules, but I know I'm, I'm, I went ahead and watched it. Cause I'm like, I've never seen this as a kid. And I was certainly not going to, I'm not going to bow to the whims of BBC doing stupid cliffhangers. I'm going to watch the whole okay, thing. That's, what, that, that's the point of a cliffhanger is to make you want to watch the next episode. And it worked. <laughs> oh my How can God. you say it's a bad cliffhanger? Felt, no, because I felt like someone robbed me from something as, as a child. No, it was effective on some level if you couldn't wait any longer to watch I, it. No, it was effective in that level, but I was also like... Seriously, they just transitioned to the same theme song. And they shouldn't they didn't even do the dun 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 to be continued. That would have been better. It looks really it looks freaky and stupid. It's like, especially when you come from my perspective, I was not expecting a super, <laughs> a super repressed memory from your childhood. <laughs> no, because it it's the shot is done really well, I think, where it really does like it just come like it goes on for a while and then, then it just sort of the head just kind of comes out of nowhere. I think it's really well done. Well, it's like I was wanting it to be good, so like I, I had no idea what was coming. So I'm like, oh, please be good, please be good, because that was kind of like a scary shot. And it's like, oh, a cheesy sea serpent, ah! you know. Okay. Well, let's all uh, we can talk about this in more depth, obviously. Oh my! It was appropriately scary looking. (laughs) Just like write down your all of your thoughts and save it for the next podcast. Because you're. I guess we should stop here. We'll talk about the sea serpent at the during our. We'll do our own cliffhanger for the listeners of Narnia in our episode three discussion. Yeah, Uh, you guys can't go watch either. And here are my thoughts about the sea serpent. Yeah, (laughs) cut. We will save uh, our deep dive into Rillian's uh, subconscious uh, for episode three of this series. Um, Oh my gosh. Who read the outro for the pre... Uh, Oh, so by the way, we have... There's a whole bunch of stuff we couldn't fit into this episode, of course, and we are going to uh, save that for uh, the post-show chatter. So if you want to hear us talk about this episode a little bit more, or maybe a lot bit more, just things that we want to talk about but couldn't fit, please click on that link. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Uh, to hear the rest of this discussion. Uh, but really quick, let's just sign out of this episode. Who read the outro last time? Who remembers? I don't remember. Then it was probably you. Why don't you read it, Jim Fan? Okay. You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast from narniaweb.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Um, you can post a comment on narniaweb.com or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. And you can visit patreon.com slash narniweb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. You can also email us at glumpuddle at narniweb.com, rillian at narniweb.com, or jimfan at narniaweb.com. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.